Hi, this is Daniel Jalkin. And this is Manton Reese. And this is Core Intuition, bringing web rings back. This week's show is brought to you by Jamf and Linode. Manton Reese has finally given in to peer pressure and the immense marketing pitch made by Micro.blog <laughs> to convert his eponymous blog, Manton.org, to the up-and-coming blogging service. Up and coming. It's here. It's, it's here, man. <laughs> yeah, for uh, those who haven't actually tried Micro.blog before, don't really understand how it works, you can plug in existing blogs like WordPress and other things to Micro.blog. And so I had been doing that for a while with my WordPress blog because I've been blogging for 16 years at Manton.org. And you know, it started on Radio Userland back in the day, went to Movable Type. And then for the last handful of years, I've been on WordPress. And I liked using WordPress because I could, you know, I could kind of help support WordPress users really well. But increasingly, I've just felt like I really need to be eating my own dog food completely. And Mm-hmm. Micro.blog needs to host my main blog completely. And so I finally made the jump and migrated almost 3,000 posts to Micro.blog. And I'm still fixing up a couple things, but it's really been great so far. It's been really fun to actually have that all on Micro.blog. And I th- think that it'll just make it easier to keep improving Micro.blog. That'll hopefully accelerate some of the some of the work that I already wanted to do based on customer feedback. Yeah, it's really, I mean, obviously there's this, been this kind of like little secret to micro.blog, which is you've been supporting macro blocking, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, I, pretty much since the beginning. I mean... Um, Almost the beginning, yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, and this is a great example of, you know, f- for folks who don't realize it, micro.blog is oriented around this shorter 280 character target um size post but then if you want to keep writing it just sort of switches the format of your post from a titleless uh micro you know micro post into a full-fledged blog post so uh even though this feature has existed i can imagine that you will have a better sense of the kind of long form uses of the service by writing your own blog on it. And, you know, looking at Manton.org right now, it's kind of like, well, the, the style looks microbloggy uh, because it's kind of a narrow single column in a, in a you know, otherwise, you know, as, as large as I make the page, this still kind of stays this narrow layout. Um, but it looks like a full blog. You know, you got, you got long posts here. You got, I'm scrolling down, looking at new features this week. It's got bullet lists and all kinds of, you know, fancy bolded text and all this, you know, jazz. And that's cool. It's just, it, it must feel good to be like a completely self, it's like, it's like bootstrapping sort of your own blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I noticed down at the very bottom, I think this is new. Did you add this just with this renovation, the um, indie web web ring? Oh yeah. I forgot I had that there. <laughs> I had added that just for testing. Actually going to, I should post about this to my blog maybe today or tomorrow, but one of the things that came out of the IndieWeb Summit that we talked about was like <laughs> a couple of people bringing kind of web rings back and uh-huh. modernizing them for, you know, 2018 instead of uh, 1998. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I put the IndieWeb ring on my, on my, in my footer to test. I actually forgot it was there. Uh-huh. But okay. it's just kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, for people that don't remember web rings, it was like 
you know, you, you're part of a web ring of like people who are blogging about the same kind of thing or whatever. And then you say like next site and it'll take you to someone else's site. Yeah. So it's kind of like a blog role, but with next and previous links. And so, yeah, it's been, been kind of fun to see that. Not I kind of make a comeback in a, in a small yeah. way, but built on open standards, which is really neat. So like you can sign into Indie Web Ring with your micro.blog account, mm-hmm. and it uses a lot of new Indie Web stuff to make the magic happen and hook everything together. So it's just fun. So I have two inspirations based on this. One is having a micro.blog ring, allowing that to be a feature that's baked into micro.blog so that people opt in their account. And if they do, they get a little micro.blog random, go to another random micro.blog mm-hmm. right. at the bottom bottom of their page like this. And then alternatively, if you really want to just kind of, you know, seize on the, the indie web thing, you could um, somehow facilitate it being automatic for micro.blog users to en- enroll in the mm-hmm. indie web ring. Yeah, maybe just check a checkbox and mm-hmm. it kind of walks you through. Yeah, it's, I don't know where it'll go. There's a few features from the indie web that people have been experimenting with that I support now. And I don't know if they will turn into bigger things or not. But in the meantime, it kind of makes Microdot better. And, um, you know, like this, actually, this web ring thing is a good example. For a long time, people have asked for more support over themes and like being able to insert like JavaScript or HTML tags in certain parts of the theme that you can't control right now. Like for a long time, we've allowed, you know, to have like custom CSS and override the style of the theme and, and that sort of thing. But there wasn't a way to insert kind of random HTML. And so with, to make this indie web ring thing happen, I needed that. And so it was kind of an excuse to add more control over people's themes. And so I think there'll be stuff like that where it's like, don't know exactly where the future is going, but it's making the platform better. And so mm-hmm. can't really complain. Another thing that's related to that that I announced earlier this week is support for a new service called Indie Paper, which is kind of like inspired by Instapaper and Pocket, but it's, again, it's built on Indie Web Standards. So you can you can sign in with your blog. Like if you use micro.blog, you can go to indiepaper.io, you sign in with your blog, and then you can save articles and it goes into a special queue. And it, it's, it's still kind of half-baked. It's still like not a full supportive feature, but I documented on the micro.blog help site and it might turn into a bigger feature in terms of like queuing up articles to read and then quoting and blogging about them and that sort of thing. So, I don't know. Fun. It's fun stuff. I don't know. That's cool. The um, indie ba- the indie paper thing, it looks like it was developed by the fella who uh, worked with you a lot to get the... Didn't he help you get the DreamHost mm-hmm. integration? Yep. Yeah. Back, he used to back, be yep. at DreamHost. And um, yeah, cleverdevil.io is his his website and uh, he's been a great supporter and he was at Indie Web Summit too and was kind of hacking around on this. Oh, cool. I kind of like this mix of like on Monday I announced like five or more new features and a couple were like big ish or like real features. And then a couple were just kind of like, Hey, we're kind of experimenting with this and we'll see where it goes. I like doing that. I like being able to roll out these kind of things. And cause you never know if there's like this one little hack idea that will actually turn into something really big. And like the, with the web rings, maybe it's just fun and maybe it just fades away. That's fine. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe there's some fallout of that that could improve people's blogs. Yeah. Well, I like the web ring and that kind of, it's, the, the sort of nostalgic stuff is sort of, it, there's a reason that web rings aren't 
around anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they sort of motivate your users to recognize the service as something that's both, and you know, it, it is sort of nostalgic because it's nostalgic to a time when people did feel more personally in charge of their their web presence. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And to some extent, you know, the web rings were filling um, the void left by the absence of social networks that actually connected, you know, everybody. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, it could, it could have very well gone on. I mean, there was, there was the movements back then to really try to push what was web rings first into more like federated social networks. And that's, uh, kind of the the mood you're looking for so i can see kind of like using some of these you know i don't i don't think you should put like a little animated gif of a construction guy no 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 (laughs) (laughs) under under construction but you're kind of trying to get people back into that mindset yeah uh, yeah and i'm very interested in this idea of like looking back about what was great about blogs and about people having their own domain name and then mm-hmm. like mixing it with what with what is great about today and yeah. social networks and better user experiences and better apps and like in the middle there if you mix those things together i think there's something really special there and so yeah that it's not about looking back just for nostalgia only and like because we have fond memories of the way the web used to be it's also about bringing the good ideas forward and not yeah. all the ideas uh, deserve to be brought forward but uh, a few do mm-hmm. link roll we need a link roll is that, is that what they call them <laughs> yeah, link blog roll. roll blog roll link yeah roll, yeah so yeah some of that stuff you know that doesn't make sense anymore yeah um but 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 some of it we can learn from like the way things used to be and the way things are now and then maybe something new can come out of it and i've really enjoyed that part of the process like as an example i mean i talk a lot about we don't have follower accounts on micro.blog because we don't want it to be a popularity contest and always judging someone before you even decide to look at their posts like do they not mm-hmm. have enough followers to deserve your attention i hate that kind of mindset so we don't have that stuff and mm-hmm. there was a big discussion this week about showing who people are following and the um a lot of strong opinions about it because people are really passionate about this and want it to be a, a great community on micro.blog and the end result i think was really good actually i rolled it out today where it's like the focus is not on like you know daniel is following a hundred people, but who's Daniel following that I don't follow yet? Like trying to reduce the feature down to like making it useful, like discovering new people. And Mm -hmm. I really like that. I I love not just copying the way things used to be or the way things are on Twitter, but like finding a balance in the middle of the right kind of UI that encourages really great behavior and, and um, people uh, happy to be, you know, in the community um, on micro.blog and I don't know, just thinking about the kind of repercussions for all those little UI changes is really Mm -hmm. fun to me. So tell me, I'm looking at micro.blog right now. I'm on my home page. How do I see who I follow? Where is that new feature? Uh, if you just click, if you like micro.blog slash Daniel Punkass, it's on those pages. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at that, but I don't see it. Am I just missing it or is it Oh, so it's you need to follow, you need to look at someone else's page. Oh, the, okay, the feature, okay, yeah. Gotcha. So look at mine. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Ah, oh, okay. Yep, I got gotcha. you. Good to know. Essentially, like looking at a feature and not accepting that it should be the way it is because it's mm-hmm. always been that way, 
but saying, yeah. you know, what are we actually trying to achieve? And so right. th this following um, example of like discovering new people to follow, that's the goal. Like that's why you yeah. look at some, who someone's following. Cause like there might be a few other people on that list that you didn't know about that you should also follow. Mm -hmm. And so the UI should be optimized for that like core experience. So speaking of just quickly, speaking of optimizing the UI, I would really like you to put little follow buttons right in the list right next to the mm -hmm. people. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Um, because there's a lot of people here that I recognize and I want to follow just by, by knowing them from Twitter or from elsewhere in my mm -hmm. life. And um, there's enough of them that I could really flesh out my following without having to click into each one. If right. there was just a little button mm -hmm. next to each one. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. We're happy to have a brand new sponsor on core tuition this week. This episode is brought to you by Jamf now. Jamf now makes it easy to set up, manage and protect your Apple devices. It's easy to keep track of your own Mac, iPad, or iPhone, but what about the other Apple devices at work? As a business grows, so does its digital inventory, making it exponentially harder to manage everyone's Apple devices. This is especially true if employees are remote. With Jamf Now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, and even lock or wipe a device as needed from anywhere. Jamf Now manages devices so you can focus on your business instead. No IT experience needed. Core Intuition listeners, start securing your business today, setting up your first three devices for free forever. Add more for just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com slash corent. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash corent. Manton, uh, this is a great example. I love how these companies that provide services that you might look at and you might think this is only for the big, big, huge companies with big IT departments. I love how they make things that maybe would have used to have been like that accessible to those of us who maybe are working alone, maybe only have a few employees. And this pricing structure is perfect for us small, small teams because, as Manton said, it's free for up to three devices. That means just get on there, try it out, see how their services work, do as much as you want with three devices. And let's face it, a lot of us listening to the show, uh, we maybe only have three devices, you know, to work with and test. So um, we could get a really good feel for this service. And then hopefully as we continue to succeed, we continue to grow. Maybe we hire somebody, maybe we get more devices to test with. Just add them for $2 per device per month. I love this kind of scalability. You can tell um, Jamf has been around for a long time. They've been around since 2002, providing services dedicated to people running networks of Apple devices. So really glad to have Jamf as a new sponsor of the show. I'm looking forward to trying this out with the three devices, and I encourage everybody listening to do the same. Once again, you can learn more and create your free account by going to jamf.com slash coreint. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash coreint. Thanks again to Jamf. All right, Daniel, I've been wondering if the MacBook Pros would be updated. <laughs> Your dreams have all come true, Manton. No, it's happening. I haven't. I'm it's so happening. <laughs> well, the problem is they so they updated the Touch Bar MacBook Pros this week, and that doesn't help anyone who is shopping for the non-Touch Bar MacBook Pros. And I mean, I hate to complain, and they they did update the MacBook Pros. That's great, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. it doesn't help. You know, we've been waiting, kind of holding off, getting new MacBook Pros for uh, my daughters who are going off to college, so they can have a 
great new computer that will last at least four years, hopefully longer. Mm-hmm. And four years, this doesn't four help. years this and, doesn't and help one week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it right doesn't. Warranty. <laughs> I, I guess I'm a little annoyed too because they, and at the same time announcing the new te- MacBook Pros, they announced the you know education pricing and the back to school discount and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No student is going to buy a high end MacBook Pro with Touch Bar that costs whatever twenty five hundred dollars, three thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Like the, these computers um, yeah. are not for most people. That does seem a little bit mixed of, of a mixed message. It seems it surprises me that they would go to all the trouble to make this keyboard better and then not like i i just i'm obviously missing something but it's doesn't it kind of seem like if you're going to all the trouble to make the keyboard better that you could make it better on all of them at the same time uh i I don't really understand especially since they've gotten so much flack about this keyboard I mean, maybe it really was just so hard to improve it that they are, you know, this is this is them like barely making it over the finish line to get one of them improved. Um, mm-hmm. It does seem strange to make two different keyboards that look identical. Yeah. Like, why keep doing that unless they and, have right. like unlimited inventory for the next year of the old one left over? I, I mean, yeah, especially after having made a public statement acknowledging, you know, basically acknowledging inferiority of the old, of the old, old new keyboard. Um, I think, I think that I didn't confirm this myself. I think that this new model now, the new models are not technically listed on that, you mm-hmm. know, because, because they didn't exist when the list was made of, models that are that are qualified for the four-year expanded um, coverage on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And since these new ones are not on there, I don't know if that means they don't expect them to suffer the same problems or if they're just going to wait until people have suffered the problem for a year or so right. <laughs> before begrudgingly adding them to the list. I think it, uh, I'm guessing that they might still have the problems, even if it's more yeah. rare. But it, it does kind of make sense that they wouldn't add them to the list yet because... No one has had this problem technically yet. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I guess it doesn't make sense to say, here's our brand new thing, and it's also defective. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, they're definitely in a strange spot. I'm sure, like, you know, they gave access to the, you know, the press, uh, the, these new MacBooks, they just showed them off, you know, briefly. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that everybody asked that question, like, how more reliable are the keyboards? And it sounds like the answer was, no comment. They're quieter. Right. Very well, strange it makes, yeah. position. It, it makes sense that um, if you say, and good news, like we finally fixed all those de- defective keyboards, then suddenly everybody like mm-hmm. who's in my shoes who has a quote unquote defective keyboard is like, right. well, thanks a lot. What does that do for me? They have a very fine line to walk. They have to sort of like acknowledge the shortcomings of the old keyboard, the old new keyboard, and <laughs> they have to try to instill confidence that the newer ones will be better and i don't know this is just one of these things where i think you just have to slowly work your way out of it and hopefully in like two years Mm -hmm. you know the best case scenario this new keyboard is is quieter as they as they promise and is more reliable and if that's Mm -hmm. true then hopefully in two years or so um they will be definitively across the board in all the new mac top macbook lines right and they can sort of slowly put this because now it's gotten to the point where it's like a joke it's a it's a among like nerds anyway it's like a joke 
Apple's MacBook keyboards are crap and everybody knows it and everyone's putting off buying new MacBooks. And then it's just going to take a while to get out of that, to shake that reputation. But the first step, obviously, in shaking the reputation is to actually stop having the, the keyboards be loud and fail. So, uh, I mean, it's a little, they're definitely in a strange position. I mean, to be honest, like Apple's being dishonest about this. Like, I hate to use that word, but it's true. Like, I don't think they're being really very transparent about this. And they're in a tricky position. Like, I get that. And people are suing them over this. And they can't just come out and say, yes, like there's a major problem. Especially because they seem to believe that it is a very small percentage of users. But they, they really, if they went to make the keyboard quieter, so that it would indirectly have a side unmentioned benefit that they would also be more reliable. I just, I don't think they're being very forthcoming about that. Kind of annoying, but I mean, I, I, I understand it, I guess. Yeah. But I don't think that takes away from the fact that they, they're not really being honest with customers about whether the problem is exactly yeah. the same as it was a year ago, or if they've slowly made these keyboards a little bit more reliable over the last year. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky position to be in, obviously. And I, I don't think, I guess we, we call it that like an, a lie by omission, I guess. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, knowing, uh, the knowing unwillingness to say the truth is sort yeah. of the same as deceit. But um, I don't well, know. I mean, let's I take to... a real, let's take a concrete example with our own products. Like if Mars uh-huh. said it had a bug... Yeah, that you knew about, and it only affected one percent of users. This is not super theoretical. This happens all the time with software, right? It's like yeah. it doesn't affect very many users, but it does affect some people, and they're disappointed. I don't think you would cover it up. No, like if you had a potential fix. Obviously, it's different with hardware because the fix is more difficult with hardware. But there's either a problem or there's not, and I don't know. It's all about fr- it's all about framing though and it's and it's a, it's about framing what's most important to most customers and being honest with customers but not necessarily you know you can be honest with customers without also turning that into your marketing focus mm-hmm. right like true I want to be honest with a customer oh uh, you know like I'll just be honest here on the show like I had a situation with Mars Edit it was thankfully a beta it wasn't a public version, but it was um, something I'd added additional logging to the app in order to try to diagnose a bug a customer was having. And in my haste, basically what I did was I added logging for at the low level for every single thing that the, every bit of networking, you, you know, even beyond what um, what I do in the network log in Mars Edit, which is very careful to uh, obfuscate and redact passwords and stuff like that. Um, and in my haste, I sent a customer a copy of the app that when they then generated a log for me and sent it to me, I couldn't help but notice that they had sent me their password. <laughs> so this is a good example Oops. where I had, yeah. I felt obliged. I mean, I guess a less conscientious developer might just say, whoops, that was a mistake. I'm going to hope that they don't notice that. But I immediately thought, oh, first of all, that customer may end up noticing this um, down the road. And um, second of all, more importantly, that customer has just unwittingly sent their password in plain text across email. And I know the risks of that. So I just felt like obligated to tell them, you know, and to recommend that they change their password, to apologize profusely, of course. But 
I didn't then go make a press release. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, know, right. <laughs> no, you know, I didn't have to say like, just so everyone knows, um, I did make a mistake once with a beta tester and right. <laughs> I divulged their password and I just want to own up to that. So, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> Cause it, and it doesn't, it doesn't affect uh, everybody else in, in that case. No. And, and, and again, it's tricky with hardware, but like you talked about like the kind of reputation for Apple yeah. and how, once you get, we talked about this before, like with social networks, it's like mm-hmm. once Facebook is known to not care about your privacy and to have all the problems that they've had with the 2016 election and, yeah. and just like once that's a narrative, like good luck trying to unwind that. It's very difficult. It's going to take years if, if ever with the Apple situation, if they care about that narrative, it might be better to just own up and be honest about it and say, they've already said there's a issue that affects a small number of people and it's covered for four years. That's fantastic. That's great. And then the mm-hmm. next step, as much as this would hurt, it might be better for them just to say the keyboard is quieter and more reliable. And yes, some percentage of people are going to want a refund and they're going to want to trade in their old MacBook from six months ago. But that mm-hmm. might just be the price to get rid of that narrative. And so that everybody knows when they buy the new computer that it's more reliable. Yeah, and that's a great point. And then, you know, it, it kind of all gets back to to whether they are confident that it's more reliable or not. They True. might be, you know, there's Good middle point. ground. They might be like, we think it's more reliable. Yeah, but they don't want to say that if it's if not. we say it is, <laughs> yeah. and then it's... <laughs> so, yeah. and, you know, there's dishonesty, and then there's just sort of like, there's a, there's a spin on this, too, where Apple could be being quiet intentionally to avoid being um, inadvertently dishonest. That's you know? a great could point, be like, actually. Well, we can't say because we don't know, because we haven't had 100,000 mm-hmm. people buy them and yeah. then witness the result of that. That's a great point. And that's certainly a, like a kind of uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt, giving Apple, you know, assuming mm-hmm. good intentions. And you're right. That is That could very well be the reason. And yep. there's no problem with that i mean i can't fault apple if that's uh, their their way to think about it yeah the, now the problem is going to be if three years from now they say good news we discovered after three years of making better keyboards that the new keyboards are phenomenally more reliable so they're never going to break and then everyone who has one of those that's like ticking time bomb keyboard is going to want to get it replaced before their four-year coverage is up so people are going to be like I don't know, pouring cornmeal on their keyboards or something. <laughs> Not that I would do that. Never, never would do that. Uh, but I might, miss, you know, maybe I need to use the computer to make the pizza or something. I don't know. Well, meanwhile, <laughs> I'm a little, I'm, I'm coming off, I think, as more critical to Apple than I probably should be. But I think that the backdrop of from is that is just like I'm, I'm a, I'm really annoyed that they didn't update the non-touch bar MacBooks. Yeah. I, I, I feel. Because like literally last week we were ready to buy this MacBook Pro 13 inch no touch bar, kind of medium specs, Apple Care. Mm-hmm. It's two grand with all that, right? And times two kids, and like we were ready to do that. And now I can buy this exactly the same computer for the same price, but I feel worse about it because I know it's yep. slower mm-hmm. than the one that's uh, you know the line that. The part of the line that was yep. upgraded, so that's a, that's a bummer. I, I feel worse about the purchase instead of better. Yeah, well, and it's—I mean—it's just a drag because you were sort of like, 
it's just it's in a way it's just sort of like tantalizing because it's it's like so lucky in a way that they did announce new ones right when they did it's like the the timeline of that fits perfectly with your need for new computers mm-hmm. and yep. with the timing of it and it's just not the right ones. It's just, right. it's, it's just like, they're, they're right there. And it just gives you that feeling like, well, you know, for all you know, it could be like October 1st that they announce the rest of the lineup is updated. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's going to be a little problem. Yeah. Probably, they probably won't, but yeah, you're right. And then you, you know, that happens, you know, it's like we shouldn't yep. complain when we buy the computer and no. it's updated, but just because they updated the, the touch bar ones, it's a little bit. Yeah. frustrating. I mean, the touch bar computers, they're just, they, they really price the MacBook Pro much further out than I think it's ever been before. And, mm-hmm. you know, it starts at $1,700. Yeah. And, you, you know, you don't, you probably want, depending on the use case, I mean, you may want more than eight gigabytes of RAM, you may want more than 256 SSD, I think most people are going to want at least 512. So, I mean, you're really you add Apple Care because you're not sure about the keyboard. So that that's really a pretty expensive computer for like a, just yeah. an average, you know, using a web browser and mm-hmm. <laughs> Microsoft Word most of the day. Yeah, well, I feel for you, Manton, but I would like to leave this subject on one encouraging point, which is, like I said earlier, this these keyboards are known among nerds for being kind of clunkers. But I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that a huge number of Apple's customers who buy these MacBooks never have a problem with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my wife, for one example, um, has a 13-inch MacBook Pro, no touch bar. Exactly, I think, the kind of model that you're considering for your kids. Mm-hmm. And she's delighted with it. It's been perfect. I mean, it's just been fine. And it's been, you know, a year and a half or so since she's had it, no problems. Um, earlier this year, I got my mom a 13-inch MacBook Pro. She's been fine with it. No problems. She loves it. And I think it's, you know, I think it's one of these things. It does kind of suck to have this, like, knowledge. We have too much knowledge about the industry, right? And, like, Mm -hmm. some people buy a coffee maker and they know this stuff. And it's like, oh, damn it, that's the old old boiler in that (laughs) coffee maker. Yeah. You know, it doesn't use enough BTUs or something. And we're like, uh, yeah, well, we know a lot about this computer because we're nerds and we're totally invested in Apple's future and all this jazz. But there's a good chance you're going to buy these for your daughters and they're going to be reliable and they're going to go off to school and they're going to get all their work done. And it's just going to be a non-concern. And there's, I mean, that's, there's a chance that they're going to be clunkers. But I think even now, I think even the quote unquote old new keyboards are better than they once were. And I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about it. You know, I haven't had any problems for a third example. I haven't had any problems with my MacBook Pro since I got the keyboard replaced from uh, for different reasons because the keycap was um was wearing off. And this has been perfectly reliable for me. So mm-hmm. it's hit and miss. For some people they seem to just break down again and again. I am not very careful with my my keyboard. I do let like crumbs get on it sometimes and I have not had any problem. I think you're going to, you know, roll the dice and you might might not get might get unlucky, but I think there's a really good chance you're going to get lucky and it's going to be fine. I was feeling really good about what you said until you said roll the dice, and that's <laughs> like not so sure anymore. Well, you're all, but just to say you're always rolling the dice with anything in life, you know. Yeah, there's a chance that something's going to go wrong. Um, you know, overall, big scheme of things, these are still Macs, these are still Apple products, yep. and you have this four year extended warranty now on the keyboard. 
Yeah. If things do go wrong, they probably will go wrong in fo- within the first four years, to be honest. And uh, the longer that that four years, longer we get into that four years, the more likely I think that whatever Apple does to replace it or repair it will be good for the long haul. Yeah, I think we'll probably just continue with the plan. Although the it's basically two hundred fifty dollars more to bump up to the Touch Bar, and I don't know, maybe we might go for it. Speed bump, <laughs> maybe that's. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's worth it. But again, it's just like kind of a slippery slope where you can you can really spend a lot on these computers, and so I'm just slightly annoyed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're happy to have Linode sponsoring the podcast this week. If you need a Linux box to host a website, a private Git repository, or maybe to serve as the backend for your iOS app, consider Linode cloud hosting. With Linode, you get a server running in under a minute. They've been doing infrastructure as a service since 2003, and their plans start at the one gigabyte level for only $5 a month. Linode's 10 global data centers are equipped with industry-leading data center-grade SSDs, and their plans range from that low $5 a month plan up to higher memory plans starting at 16 gigabytes. All of this comes with the full control you expect with a VM, supporting Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays. You can save $20 by using the promo code CoreInt2018. Just go to leno.com slash CoreInt. Thanks so much to Leno for sponsoring the podcast. Manton, I know you are a happy Linode customer. I am also a happy Linode customer. And I just want to emphasize that Linode is one of these services that exists today that makes Owning your own web presence and running your own servers, managing your own domain, so much easier and so much more affordable than it was. You know, we were talking about web rings earlier. Uh, Back in the day, you know, if you wanted to run your own server, it was a pretty huge undertaking. Linode makes it so easy. I practically forget a lot of the time that I am running my own servers. Um, And I just, it was kind of curious. I just went and logged into my Linode. And I'm just so impressed to see, you know, my Linodes, I have a couple, mine have been running for 72 days without complaint. And the only reason they were down 72 days ago is because Linode migrated it from like one, you know, one computer to probably a better computer. I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, what's this? Oh, a free upgrade is available for this Linode. I've been so tuned out. I forgot to even notice that I have a free update that's going to increase my storage from 48 gigabytes to 80 gigabytes increase my transfer, increase my outbound, outbound megabits. Those are very important. Um, all for free because I'm a Linode customer and because Linode is just so focused on providing great value. They're always improving what they give you. And they make it so easy to... <laughs> if I want a new server, I just go make a new server. It's so easy. Love Linode. Love how easy and affordable it makes for all of us to be able to do this kind of stuff these days. Um, so I really can't uh, emphasize enough how much I encourage you folks to go give it a try. Uh, like Manton said, you can get the, the discount, $20 off, uh, if you go to linode.com slash coreint. And just start at that $5 a month level. Use like $20 worth of free months, four months for free. And you'll see, I think, how fun and empowering it is to have your own host. Thanks again to Linode for sponsoring the show. All right, Daniel. Well, you have been running betas of all the new things. All the new things. And I still haven't installed anything. Oh, my gosh. I haven't it's installed you're, shortcuts. You're one of those... I haven't installed Mojave. <laughs> you're one of those web developers. <laughs> Just kind of use MacBooks to <laughs> SSH into your actual work environment. Well, if that was true, I would probably <laughs> update 
faster. And because I, like, I mean, it's true. I am a web developer, but like, I also do, you know, Mac and iOS stuff. And that's the part that I'm always hung up on. Cause so for example, with this new following stuff in micro blog, I decided to do a quick update to the Mac app and I updated it and I pushed it out to customers. You know, I don't use the app store, so I could do it really quickly. Probably wouldn't have mattered since I shipped directly to customers if I was on Mojave, but it would matter if I was on some beta version of Xcode and I was trying to submit to the app store. And so that that's the part that always stops me from mm-hmm. upgrading till much later in the process. Yeah, well, you know, I have really mixed feelings about it. I, I, I've Some years I've gone really heavy into new betas and some years I've held it back a little bit. Um, this year I'm really glad I'm doing it because I think the changes in Mojave are immersive, like a lot of the changes. They're mm-hmm. not the kinds of things you find out how they work and how they affect your software and how they will affect your users um, until you actually just work day-to-day in it. And I'm speaking specifically of a couple things. Like, um, you know, folks know that there's a new dark mode coming. Um, it's really hard. I tried it first to like test in the, um, you know, in a VM or something what my changes would look like. And it's just there's subtle things you don't notice until um, you can sort of play around with it. And um, it's just tedious to have to do all that work in a VM. And you don't really feel it as much, in my experience, as if you're just running it. So, I, you know, I, for, I, I don't even see myself as a candidate for running dark mode. But I have been running in dark mode sometimes just to sort of try to absorb what Apple's aesthetic is for that mode. Because I want to make sure, of course, my apps fit in that mode. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on the apps, trying to get them ready. For some reason, I've just sort of like latched onto that as one of the things I really want to to, to have done in my apps early on. And so that's been kind of fun. Um, it's kind of just like an iterative process to, to try to see, you know, make your app fit in that mode. And then also it's the kind of thing where inevitably you're doing some work and it's like, oh, well, I should have never designed this this way. And so you end up doing some redesign or re-jiggering of how your your whole system works. But um, the other thing in Mojave that has a lot of people have noticed, but you really only notice it if you're using the system in earnest, is um, they have this new system for users have to approve every Apple event (laughs) that's sent from one app to another. And I mean, not every one one by one, but every every relationship of an app to another app uh, sending it an Apple event initially brings up a panel that says, do you want to allow such and such app to control such and such other app? So these are the kinds of things that you don't notice until you're in the middle of like, like, well, for example, like if you um, are using Xcode and you click on a file and you reveal in Finder, you wouldn't normally think of that as like automation, but it's actually Xcode sending an Apple event to the Finder that says, please make this visible. Therefore, that brings up one of those little panels, and these are the kinds of things I wouldn't know. I wouldn't get the feel for just how prevalent these warnings are, and how many different apps are actually sending little Apple events to other apps, unless I was running it full time. And so, this has been a good opportunity, uh, particularly like um, it affects Fast Scripts, my script execution app, because the fallout of this is every single script that you run that controls a specific other app. The system says, do you want to allow fast scripts to control Safari? And so it's a little tedious. It's a little frustrating, I have to admit. But on the flip side, you know, you only have to say it once. And then 
um, the system remembers this relationship. Therefore, the, the going forward is is permitted or or denied. I don't know. It's something. I'm glad it makes me glad in retrospect that I'm not discovering this stuff like on day one of the public mm-hmm. release. Right. Do you think that like with fast scripts that you will get like, I mean, I, I guess like are any people running into this now or like, do you get feedback about this kind of stuff already? I haven't gotten a lot of feedback from folks for any of my apps running in Mojave. I'm, I'm a little surprised. It may be that, um, People are just kind of taking taking it in stride, or it may be that fewer people are running Mojave than I expect. Um, I don't think there's a public beta yet for Mojave. Uh, you know, they do this in tiers where it's like, right now we're in the phase where only developers, quote-unquote developers, have access to it. Um, and I, I only say quote-unquote developers because anybody can sign up to be a developer and get access to it, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I haven't gotten a lot of feedback. And with fast scripts, I don't know that there's anything I can do about it. There's a great blog post. I actually wrote a blog post about this yesterday, and I linked to another blog post by Felix Schwartz, which is a great analysis of some of the problems with the new. He calls it Apple Event Sandboxing, mm-hmm. and there's a great analysis of some of the usability problems and you know things like um, it would be nice to be able to say in the settings for this, hey, just let fast scripts or any whatever app, let it let it have power to control anything. And that would eliminate the problem of like every time you write a new script, the first thing that happens is, do you want to allow this app to be controlled? So we'll see. Uh, it's one of these things that feels like it needs to be finessed. My the gist of my blog post is really like hoping that Apple does I'm kind of like um, building on what Felix wrote and imploring Apple to keep this feature, but also you know, try to refine it so that it's less irritating to users and allows developers to provide a better experience. Yeah, I haven't looked at this enough. I haven't actually finished reading your blog posts. I don't, I don't know how I feel about some of the security changes. I think I was so annoyed with sandboxing that I think I view everything kind of (laughs) through that (laughs) lens. But I mean, the truth is like, you know, Apple should be proactive about some of the stuff. Like I'm not aware of any like malicious scripts that people download that just like mess everything up because usually yeah. if you're at that level of running someone else's code you know what you're getting into yeah yeah i mean it's good that it's good they're at least thinking about this and hopefully it won't cause too much trouble for you and users yeah i mean this at, at, at the end of the day i guess there's just nothing i can do about it either either they right. fix it or they don't and i'm still going to keep using fast scripts my users are going to still keep you know it's not like there's an alternative to fast scripts that will be able to circumvent the mm-hmm. The, you know the problems. Although right. now that now that I say that out loud, actually, Apple might whitelist their they do whitelist script editor, for example, and they might whitelist um, oh, okay. their own script script menu. So there might be a real legitimate cause for me to be irritated by that. Uh, <laughs> but we'll just I guess I guess I'm yeah I'm getting chilled out in my older age. If <laughs> you notice, I just I only rail against. Rage against the machine, like you know, half the time now. Well, and Fast Scripts is not your primary app. You know, it's not no, your it's main true. focus. You don't update it very often. Like it does. I mean, it's like it's feature complete. It's been feature complete for years. So you yeah. only update it when you absolutely need to. And so, yeah, it makes sense to be a little more relaxed about it and not panic for sure. Yeah. So overall, do you feel like the 
Mojave beta is go. I mean, do you think they could ship like next week? And besides, I mean, this is obviously yeah. this kind of thing. And but like from the user end user standpoint. Yeah. I mean, there's things that need to be continue to be improved. Like um, there's clearly some drawing issues. Like some things are just slightly out of whack. Like one thing I notice is like when I get prompted with a, a password prompt, from um, Keychain, it's like the password field content is like slightly askew. So there's a little like fit and finish things, but mm -hmm. overall, I think it's really good. And my main complaint is for some reason, it could be unrelated to Mojave for all I know, but correlated with my update to Mojave, um, I am no longer able to send messages from my, I, mean, I can't send iMessages from oh. my Mac. Oh, which is really, which is really inconvenient, and <laughs> the the horrible thing is everything works except for the sending, and so I get messages, I can see them, and I can type a response, and then it just says sending, then not delivered. So it's like I, you know, I, I keep getting lured into this expectation of it working, and then it doesn't work. And so I've, I've had all these like weird workarounds where sometimes I'll pick up my phone and just respond on my phone. Sometimes if I've already written a long response, I actually mail myself. This is so horrible. Email myself. People can send me all their better suggestions for getting text from my Mac to my phone. But uh, I basically have to email myself and then copy it out of an email and paste wow. it in. So it's a pretty big <laughs> problem. I, and I keep I keep updating to the latest Mojave beta. Like they just released another one a couple days ago, um, hoping that it's just going to magically work. Mm -hmm. And so far, no luck. But um, yeah. it's one of those things where I hope it's going to get fixed in an update, but then I also recognize I might just need to like completely nuke everything. And start over because so for example one thing I've noticed is um, if I log into another user account on my Mac and it's still running Mojave mm -hmm. I can send messages okay so and this is really frustrating because this is a bug actually whatever's going on it logs something in the console that literally says please file a radar hmm. <laughs> and so I filed a radar but it's been like a month now and no no words so it's like it's one of those things where I feel like. Surely this is their problem. They said in the console even, file a radar. <laughs> Please fix it now. <laughs> right. You asked for it. Yes. Well, one of these days I will install it. And in the meantime, you just need to switch to iOS full-time. The Messages app works great there. Ah, yes. Well, you know, maybe I'll get an iMac, uh, iPad Pro, <laughs> develop a Mars Edit for it. Yeah. And then I'll be like, uh, I'll be like one of those people who's like, where's my Xcode for iPad? <laughs> I'm joking, but I do get, I see people CC you on micro.blog about Mars uh -huh. for iOS just a couple of days yeah. ago. Someone asked for yep. it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some people who would be happy to have it for, um, probably for long form micro.blog. Yeah. Writing. That was actually the context that I saw was someone that wanted a little more of a full featured kind of text editor with inline images and that kind of thing for yeah. uh you know for, on ios because i do that on i use marzetta for that posting to micro.blog you know sometimes like longer posts i usually will do in MarsEdit and uh be nice on ios as well yeah yeah i want to get i want to get going on that when i can but we'll see how it goes all right well thanks everyone for listening today hope everybody if you're on mojave hope your experience is going well one of these days i'll update then we can talk more about it before it ships. But mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week, Daniel. Sounds good. See you then.